Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Bold, confident, yet natural. No, we're not talking about a new makeup line today or a line of furniture or even dating advice, though I guess we are talking about relationships because today we are talking about evangelism. There seems to be this golden combination of boldness, confidence, yet naturalness, humanity, simplicity, humility that makes for really effective evangelism. No matter the personality type or the tradition a particular Christian is formed in, The kind of evangelism I'm talking about is the kind that emerges from a really particular life, particular relationships this person has, and asks interesting questions, challenges to listen, and doesn't require this person, maybe you, maybe me, to have either a degree in theology or to apply the kinds of, well, the cringeworthy strategies that you yourself would not want to be on the receiving end of. So what makes for confident, bold, but really very natural evangelism that doesn't require you to turn into someone else, but that does require, at least once in a while, that you get out of your comfort zone? And isn't it true that challenging our comfort zones, at least these days, can include just making a phone call, inviting conversation about a personal topic or a difficult topic, or walking across the street and just meeting a neighbor? Scary. And what's the difference between someone with the calling of an evangelist? Like, am I called to be an evangelist? If not, do I still need to evangelize and how often? And yet there's a bold yet natural witness that we're all called to as disciples of Jesus to commend the gospel to others. So what's this difference? Is there a difference between a vocation and a vocation? We'll hear more about all this today from two experts in the field, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing from them. The first guest today is a Church of England priest and evangelist with over 40 years experience, Canon J. John. 
You may have heard of him before. J. John runs an organization called Philo Trust, which equips and mentors Christians to be more effective evangelists from right where they are. And he wanted to mention that on his website, canonjjohn.com, they're publishing a series on the saints right now, Heroes of the Faith, that you can receive every day for free. Many other books and resources can be found there for your own encouragement and to help you and those you lead talk with others about the faith. Guiding the conversation today is our second guest, Canon Carrie Bourne Headington. Carrie is Canon for Evangelism for the Diocese of Dallas and founder of the Good News Initiative. She's also consulting evangelist for revivals for the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church and adjunct professor of evangelism at Fuller Seminary. And we'll include links to more about their ministries and resources in the show notes today. Now sit back, relax, but definitely stay alert. You will hear a challenge today. It's a good one. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, hello, Living Church listeners. It is such a joy to be here today. I am Carrie Heddington, and welcome, Jay John. Carrie, it's great to join you, and it's great to join Living Church, and I'm delighted we've got this opportunity to have this conversation. Oh, Jay John, so you and I have known each other for many, many years. In fact, you're my mentor. Um, so I'm I would love to start at the beginning. How did you come to faith? How did you come to know Jesus? And then we're going to talk about how you became an evangelist. But let's start at the beginning. Tell us, tell us, how did you come to know Jesus? Uh, thank you, Carrie. I, I'm Greek Cypriot, so I was born into a Greek family in London, Greek culturally, not necessarily in faith or uh, religion. And I grew up being more of an agnostic than anything else. I didn't go around calling myself an agnostic, but that's probably what I was. And then when I went to college in London in 1974, I actually met a Greek Christian on my first day. And we struck up a, a relationship. And over a period of time, he introduced me to Jesus Christ. And I can remember when I got baptized that I said, my friend Andy built a bridge from him to me. And when he did, Christ Jesus walked over it. And that's exactly, Carrie, what happened. You know, he built a bridge. I was impressed by him. And I often say that there are two reasons today why people are not yet Christians. One, because they've never met a Christian. Or two, they have met a Christian. So the point I'm making there is we Christians can make a difference in someone's world. We can either help them or we can hinder them. There was something different about Andy. So that was appealing. And I probably, when I first met him, I was minus 100. But over a period of time, both in conversation, he bought me a Bible, we would do Bible studies, he exposed me to Christian teaching. And then the tipping point for me 
was when he showed me in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, that beautiful picture of Jesus standing at a door, outside a door, knocking. And the words, if you hear the knock, open the door, let me in. And I and Andy said to me, have you heard Jesus knocking? And I said, I think so. He says, have you opened the door? And I said, where is the door? And he said, don't worry about where the door is. Ask Jesus to break the door down. And you know, Carrie, that kind of approach worked with me. And then, and then you began your journey. And I know that you were uh, got involved in Christian Union at that time. And when did you, I know that almost immediately when you came to faith, you started, you naturally began to share with others. Well, I, where I lived and where I went to college was about a mile and I used to walk. And so the next day after I received Jesus, I'm walking to college and I see a homeless man and I stop and I say to him, have you had breakfast? He said, no. I said, well, do you want breakfast? He said, yes. I said, well, I'll take you for breakfast. And while we're having breakfast, I said to him, where do you hang out? He says, well, you know where you met me? That's where I hang out in the mornings. I said, no, where do you normally hang out? He says, you know where you met me? That's where I normally hang out. And I was thinking, if he's telling me the truth, that meant September, Monday to Friday, October, November, December, January, February, I walked past him and I never saw him. And this is my first day as a follower of Jesus. And I see a homeless man and I have compassion for a homeless man. And I, I can remember thinking, what's going on? And then I went to college. I told Andy I'd received Christ. He said, we'll meet later. I went to a lecture. I sat next to my friend, Richard Gamble. I said, Richard, I became a Christian last night. And I said, are you a Christian? He said he didn't know. And I explained to him about how he could become a Christian. And he prayed to receive Christ in the lecture. <laughs> and then I took him to meet Andy. So nobody told me, oh, you've got to do this. It just was a natural thing to do. Isn't it amazing that when, when we have Jesus encounters, looking at the New Testament, people immediately have the encounter and then naturally begin sharing. Um, in the New Testament, there are no evangelism courses. It just, you know, Michael Green, Kena Michael Green, our dear friend, said, his favorite definition of evangelism is overflow. And that's immediately in your life, the overflow started happening immediately. Yeah, just naturally, because we're, we're all witnesses and we, we have something to say. And it was only later that someone said, oh, you're an evangelist. And I said, oh, what's that? I've never heard of the word. So I think I was already a practitioner. And then I realized, oh, there's a word for that. Because I think there, there are lots of misunderstandings of what an evangelist is. So what is an evangelist? Well, the, the word evangelist is mentioned three times in the New Testament. We know it's someone who announces the gospel, 
which is good news, but also it's someone who equips the saints for the work of ministry. So, yes, we preach the gospel, but we also equip and train others to become far more natural and intentional in sharing their faith with others. Yeah, but I think a lot of people say, well, I don't have the gift of an evangelist like JJ. Um, but we're all called to witness. So can you tease that out a little bit? Absolutely, Carrie. Look, in a court of law, you have a witness. And the witness gets up and just tells their story. They actually don't need to rehearse it or memorize it. They just are honest. This is what I know. This is what happened to me. That's a witness. In a court of law, you also have the lawyer, the attorney, the barrister, and they take the facts and they present the facts in such a convincing manner as to get the jury to make a decision. Every single one of us, including you, Carrie, including me, we're witnesses. But some of us are like that attorney, like that lawyer, like that barrister. You and I are evangelists. We take the facts and we present them in such a convincing manner that we get the jury to make a decision. Yes. So tell me, what what is life like as an evangelist? You've been doing this for 40 years. I know you started in universities. Tell us a little bit about your your journey as an evangelist. And and I'm particularly interested in um, your sense of the harvest field then and now. Okay. I, I, I went to seminary. After seminary, I went to Northern Ireland and I worked in Northern Ireland in the area of reconciliation. I then became minister of a church and I oversaw the evangelism and so what about the climate then and now listen Carrie the fields are ripe for harvest okay we've got more laborers today than we've ever had there's over 1.2 billion laborers sadly many of them are sleeping So we've actually got a a church that's a sleeping giant. Now, we just need to awaken the sleeping giant and enable 1.2 billion people to start witnessing. Yes. And I think, you know, I know in the the West, particularly, a very small percentage of followers of Jesus say they have spiritual conversations in a year. And and what do you think the blockages are? Okay, having pondered this, thought about it, lectured on it, written about it, and written a course as well on evangelism. So I've pondered this question, Carrie, for decades. I think evangelism is very, very simple, but we seem to have conveyed it in a very difficult way, that it's created obstructions and hindrances 
It's created fears in people as to what it is. What is it? It's three things. It's praying, it's caring, and it's sharing. Now, we all believe in prayer. We all believe that when we pray, coincidences happen. And when we don't, they don't. So I, I, I want to encourage every believer, every follower of Jesus, to become far more intentional in praying for their family, their friends, their neighbours, and their colleagues. So let's just, okay, hypothetically, you've got one church with 100 members. Now, if every member was encouraged to pray for 10 people, at least, maybe more, but 10 people, friends, family, neighbours, colleagues who don't know Jesus, that means that church will be praying for 1,000 people. If you're praying for 1,000 people every day, every week, every month, for a year, I can tell you this, something's going to shift. Something's going to change. God's going to give us access. God's going to give us opportunities. God may even supernaturally speak to many of them through dreams because that's what he seems to be doing in many countries of the world. Praying, caring. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Yes. So, okay, how are we caring for people? We obviously can't help everyone, but we can help someone. Okay, now every Christian understands the language of praying and caring. Now we need to move to sharing. And sharing is the wonderful privilege of having a conversation with our family, with our friends, with our neighbours, with our colleagues, and share something of what God has done for us, something of what the good news of Jesus is about. You know, I, I believe that evangelism involves a number of different, or like we would say, doors of opportunity. Prayer, being a presence, proclamation, persuasion, praise, power, the prophetic. It, and, and somehow, if we can expose the people that we're praying for, that we're caring for, to some of these doors, then Christ can help them in their journey of faith. Yes. And I'm just thinking of um, two of our churches that their evangelistic outreach was exactly what you said. We're going to have every member think of, we did three, not 10, even though let's go for 10, right? But we had everyone pray for three people and say, Lord, and then, and then the care part, how can we best love those three people? It might be a phone call, an encouraging word, have people over for a meal, whatever it was to care for them. And then the share. Um, and we had everyone think about, um, you know, Andrew went to his brother and said, I found the Messiah. I have found. We had everyone answer that. What have you found? I found joy. I found hope. I found peace. And then that congregation. Then we had everyone invite their three on Easter. That congregation has doubled in size. But it began with prayer. And I think we say we pray, but do we really pray for the lost? And, and I know that is something that you have done 
your whole life. Well, it's a, my wife, Killy, and I, it's a daily practice. Yes. In the morning, we wake up, we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray for our family, uh, we pray for those that are sick, and then we currently are praying for 42 people that we personally know who don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, in the morning, I will brush my teeth. In the evening, I will brush my teeth. I pray for people I know who don't know Jesus. It's part of my life. You've always said one of my favorite phrases you use is uh, your your mission trip might be right across the street. Well, absolutely, Carol, because I'm I'm very positive about churches encouraging people to go on a missions trip. That's very, very good. But I say, yes, let's go on a missions trip. Walk next door. You know, and, and it doesn't cost much. Yeah. Walk next door. Uh, show something of the love of Christ. But brain caring, don't just stop there. This is where I think many of us um, do seem to stop. We've got to also be more intentional in sharing the good news. So when you're helping believers share, are there some tools you give or or to help them share? Let's look at Jesus. Yeah. Okay, in John chapter 4, I mean, what a beautiful story, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus was at one point, and he's going to go to another place. Okay, in order to do that, you have to go into Samaria. Now, most, not most, every Jew would never do that. They would walk around Samaria. Because as you know, uh, Jews, Samaritans hated each other. There was no way they would interact. Jesus broke long-standing traditions, walked into Samaria, sat at a well, a woman came. What were the differences that existed between the woman and Jesus? She's living in adultery. He's the high priest. So you have a moral barrier. She's a woman. He's a man. You have a social barrier. She is a Samaritan, he's Jewish. You have a racial barrier. She's a Samaritan, he's Jewish. You've got a religious barrier. Now, isn't that interesting? You've got a moral barrier, social barrier, a racial barrier, and a religious barrier. And we're often feeling amongst the people we interact with, oh my word, there are barriers. Okay, so the question is, how did Jesus connect with this woman? Well, he focused on what they had in common. And the thing that they had in common was H2O. She wanted water. Jesus wanted water. So that's what they talk about. Then Jesus talks about a different type of water where where it quenches your thirst. And then he spoke into her life, what you would call prophetic evangelism. And she had this encounter with Jesus. And what's interesting is she addressed Jesus four times. And the first time she addressed Jesus, she called him Jew. The second time she addressed Jesus, she called him Sir. The third time she addressed Jesus, she called him Prophet. The fourth time she addressed Jesus, she called him the Messiah. And she drops her pot goes and gets the neighbours, and that's how the Samaritan revival commenced. 
met her where she was. Yes. And what I love about that is, is, you know, the, the way evangelism was taught in the past, it was like a formula. Here's, here are four spiritual laws or here's the way. And that's how the church was equipped. And what I love, evangelism is a way of life. It's a way of life. Absolutely. And it, it's discovering, Carrie, that naturalness in whatever situation that you're in, just to be yourself, engage with people, and just have that conversation about spiritual things. I think there is a spiritual hunger. There is a spiritual receptivity. And we need to kind of engage with it. And part of that is telling a little bit about our own story. Part of it is discerning on how people are feeling about themselves, about life, about the future. Do they have hope? And explaining something of the story, his story. As I've been talking lately with clergy friends and worship leaders, and yes, I have a lot of friends that are clergy and worship leaders, I have heard this sentence multiple times. I love planning for Advent. It's just a beautiful, rich time of year, isn't it? And if you'd like a simple way to enrich it further while helping you with preaching and your own worship planning, click the link in the show notes today and try a free month of The Living Word Plus. This is a worship planning resource especially curated by the editors of The Living Church. It's a weekly email with short articles, sermons, and classic texts pre-selected to dovetail with your work that week. There's a lot to enjoy here. I actually edit these emails and I often get lost in them and have to remind myself to stay on task. They are very engaging. Click the link in the show notes to try The Living Word Plus for free for the next 30 days. The hunger is immense. And I think something like 80% of people said, if enter, if someone started talking to me about spiritual matters, yes, I would I would want to engage in that conversation. Listen, I, I'm so glad that Andy came up to me and told me about Jesus. In fact, the first person to tell me about Jesus, I became a Christian. So if he hadn't told me about Jesus, where would I be now? Yeah. I, in fact, when I became a follower of Jesus, I went back to my friends in college and who were believers. And I said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me then? You know, it would have saved me a lot of heartache, frankly, in those years. Absolutely. So we're on a commission. We're his ambassadors. We need to share the good news. And therefore, we need to know what the good news is. We also need to know how to articulate the good news in a way that's going to be understood, in a way that's going to engage people. And we need to be simple. You know, simple, Carrie, does not mean simplistic. How would you, I mean, it was interesting, there was a professor from Oxford here he gave an incredible lecture on evidence for the resurrection. He went into the, also went into the crucifixion, the doctrine of the atonement. 
And then someone stood and said, if you could just summarize what is the gospel, how would you do it? So, Jay John, what is one of the ways you do it? Okay. If someone says, what is it? To me, the essence of Christianity embraces three things. One, forgiveness from the past. Two, new life today. Three, a hope for the future. Okay, so I need to be able to somehow convey those three principles in my conversation with others. And the thing is this, wherever I go, I carry the presence of Jesus. So I'm ready. So I'll give you an example. I went to get my hair cut. And the lady that was cutting my hair, I noticed that she had her keys just in front of me by the mirror. And on the keys, on her key ring, she had a rabbit's foot. So I said to her, Mary, why have you got a rabbit's foot on your key ring? Ah, she said, that's to bring me good luck. I said, Mary, the rabbit wasn't lucky. She stopped cutting my hair. She went to her keys, got the rabbit's foot off and threw it in the dustbin. And that began a conversation about superstition. And the, we began to talk about superstition. And then we began to talk about darkness. And then we began to talk about the light. And how I have discovered that the light is Christ. So can you see, I, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go and cut my hair today. Oh, whoever's going to cut my hair, I'm, you know, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. No, no. I'm like, if I get the opportunity, I will pick it up. But when you're intentional about looking for the opportunities, you will always see those rabbit foot things. You'll always see symptoms and signs and whatever. You know, how are you? Oh, I, I'm not too good. Oh, what's the matter? You know, how are you feeling? Oh, you're feeling very anxious. Do you know when I'm anxious, I, I pray. Do you pray? You, you, you just pick up on conversations. Yes. There's so many different ways into the gospel. So many different ways in. It could be forgiveness. It could be a painful situation. Uh, it could be a feast at a table. It could be, I mean, there's so, and you can highlight different aspects of the good news. Absolutely. I, I spoke at Sydney University and uh, the meetings had to be held outdoors because the indoor auditoriums weren't big enough. And I, I spoke, I stepped down and some students were talking to me. And then this girl comes along and she interrupts us really rudely. And she said to me, I hated what you said. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she says, I can tell you this, church ruins people's lives. I said, oh, I'm very sorry. And she said, like, okay. And so we basically went to the university cafeteria, got a coffee, sat down. And I said, why, why are you so angry? And all I did was listen to her. She started telling me what was wrong with the church. And I said, look, I said, there's been many, many mistakes made in the name of medicine. But we don't throw out the whole of medicine because some mistakes have been made. 
And I just listened more. I said, look, come and hear me Tuesday and we'll have a coffee. She came, we went for coffee. I said, come and hear me Wednesday. We'll go for coffee. And we talked and I listened. I said, come and hear me Thursday and we'll go for coffee. She came, we went for coffee. I listened. I said, come and hear me Friday. It's the last talk and we'll go for coffee. And then Friday, she received Christ. Now that girl's name is Christine Kane. Now, if you Googled Christine Kane, you will discover that she is a remarkable uh, Christian evangelist who directs a ministry called A21, anti-human trafficking, and she's a world changer. Now, why did I tell you that story? Yes, she did hear the gospel, but it was five coffees of just sitting, listening, engaging. You were present with her. You listened to her. And she experienced the love of Jesus through your listening. I think one of the greatest ways we can be the presence of Jesus is to listen to people, especially in in this COVID climate where people have become so isolated. There's this deep longing of connection. I always think about the Dead Sea. It's dead because it has no outlet. And evangelism, the Great Commission, what we're all invited to do by Jesus, I always see it so much as like an invitation to joy because when we start giving away the, the, the treasure who is Jesus Christ. Absolutely. The joy comes in. It's a joy. We're inviting people to the Great Feast. Yes. You know, and I think the thing is when you're in conversation with people, look, at the end of any conversation, at the end of any church visit, at the end of any evangelistic meeting, either they want to accept, either they want to investigate, or they want to reject. And I I often say to people, well, I'm not going to commend you rejecting it, but I will plead with you either to investigate it or to accept it and what can I do to help you can I give you this book can I get you to read this can I get you to dip into that and I'm always giving out little resources booklets books would you read this and can we talk about it you know my my new book came out the other day and the first thing I did when I received it was I took it to my dentist yes who's a Hindu and I went in and I said to him is I brought you my new book. And he stood looking at the index. Uh, my new book's called Will I Be Fat in Heaven? <laughs> 38 that. questions. And he looked down the list of questions. He said, I'm going to read this question tonight. Do all religions lead to God? So, but the point was this. The moment I got the book, I thought, now who can I go and give it to? I'll go and give it to my dentist because we're always having sacred conversations. Yes. So we're not knocking any other religion. No. But we're actually saying only one of them teaches that you can know God. Yes. People say, oh, I'm against religion. But it's like, have you ever looked at Jesus? And as you say, people are fascinated by Jesus. Totally. I have two two final questions for our time. What gives you hope right now? I 
believe, Carrie, in the providence of God. This little COVID virus was not a surprise to God. I don't think God woke up one morning and thought, goodness, I never saw that one coming. God is sovereign. God has allowed it. And I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the providence of God. And because I do, I always have hope. I know that God is in control. I know that nothing can thwart, I love that word, thwart the purposes of God. And that somehow God can work all things for good. That gives me hope. Two, I love what St. Augustine said. You cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother. I believe in Christ. I believe in the church. And the Greek word for church is ecclesia. And the word ecclesia means gathering. And I want to encourage all believers to go back to church. Unless you're sick, unless you're vulnerable, you don't have an excuse. Get back there. Let's prepare the bride the bridegroom's return. So all believers come back to church. And then what final encouragement today would you like to give to believers? I pray every day that prayer that Jabez in the Bible prayed. And his little prayer hidden away in the book of you could easily miss it. But he prays this prayer. Bless me, Lord. Bless me indeed. I'm not asking for a blessing for a specific item. I'm just asking you to bless me, that I will know my blessing, your blessing upon my life. Widen my influence. Today, this week, this month, May your hand be upon me, supporting me, protecting me, guiding me, and protect me from harm and evil. And that would be my prayer. Everyone, Carrie, who's tuned in now, who's listening to this program, my prayer would be, and I, I, I'd like to pray as a prayer, Lord, I want to pray for all my brothers and sisters that you will bless them indeed that you will widen their influence, that your hand would be upon them and that you would protect them from harm and evil. We pray that you would help us all to keep in step with your spirit, that you will help us to be more intentional in praying and caring and sharing. We pray for your blessing the blessing of God, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. May you bless us so that we can be a channel of blessing to others. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen.
Canon J. John. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. It is an absolute joy. Thanks so much for tuning into the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. During Advent and the Christmas season, we're going to encourage you to give to the Living Church as we are a nonprofit. You'll be hearing more from me about that and about what makes TLC special and worth your almsgiving. Go to livingchurch.org forward slash donate to give today. In two weeks, December 16th, we're giving you a Christmas present, a Bishop's Roundtable with Bishops Rowan Williams, Sammy Shahada, Joseph Wandera, and John Bauerschmidt. They join us from Wales, Egypt, Kenya, and Tennessee to discuss the question of synodality in the Anglican Communion. What does it mean to walk together? It is a beautiful and thought-provoking conversation. Don't miss it. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been great to be with you. Peace. Peace.